Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Terry Coots, CIO at the Guthrie Clinic. In part two, she talks about how Guthrie was able to completely revamp its implementation process. Why, in many ways, clinical and IT leaders have to adopt a sales approach to building relationships. How she has benefited from her nursing experience and the work her team is doing to reduce the documentation burden on nurses through its Nightingale initiative. So can you talk a little bit about the role that you had before? So you said like clinical applications, and I imagine that some of the focus certainly is similar, but how did that role help prepare you for the CIO role? So when I first joined Guthrie, um, I joined for my epic knowledge. Um, So they hired me because uh, there was a fair amount of physician turnover that um, the part of the reason of the turnover during the exit interview was related to the EMR. Leaving one organization um, because of EMR doesn't mean that you're not going to go to another organization that doesn't use an EMR. So the fact of the matter is, is that it wasn't the EMR, it was how we had deployed it. So my main task was to kind of right-size that ship. That's hard to recruit to, so we don't want to lose clinicians due to technology that's poorly deployed. And so I had just the clinical applications under Epic at that point, and they were an Epic customer in 2003, was the first inpatient go live for CPOE. And we had been a longstanding customer, had continued to deploy modules, but I don't know if you're familiar with the STARS rating in Epic, you know, it's zero to 10 and 10 being leading the pack, um, innovative and uh, have deployed function in in the EMR that's enabling care and and then goes all the way down to zero. Um, We were a STARS two. And so we really took a look at that and looked at where we were, how we customized, how we delivered changes and revamped our total process from the time we onboarded a new clinician all the way through upgrades, how we manage those deployments, our interaction with our clinicians. We have a rounding program now where our trainers go out and round on a bi-monthly basis to the clinicians. And we're now a second year in a row of a 10. Our journey went from a, an eight to nine to two consecutive tens. And it really impacted our physician satisfaction. And when you look at Press Ganey, there's a related to physician satisfaction, there's a technology question about being satisfied with technology. And we score 99 percentile in the nation because our clinicians are happy with their technology. And so that shows that we have addressed the root cause. Of course, not everybody's 100% satisfied or they wish right. to, you know, there's, there's noise around it, but it's not the same. And I think that the work that I had to do related to changing that direction of leaving because of the EMR to being 99% satisfied was really just relationship-based. Getting out there and talking to individuals, understanding what is the noise, what are the pebbles in their shoes, what's causing them to dislike the EMR, what's what's preventing them from caring for their patients in the way that they want to care, and then acting on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that relationship in the CI overall, I just have more customers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and more noise and more responsibilities. But I think that just basically listening, understanding, and, and then developing that trust relationship that they know that we will do what we can to fix our pains in their sides. You know, we're doing a big Oracle cloud implementation 
And prior to me taking this role, I had very little insight into it. And it, it's about six months delayed. But even in the three months that I've had the role, we've been able to approach it differently. Again, listen, understand what the noise is, not make excuses, but make them part of the solution and solution, whatever that is. Um, we have a new forecasted date, but we feel confident in the work that we're doing now or before. It was just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of really just a lot of noise around because they didn't feel like they could trust. Yeah. So now they know, but we're, we're going to get it live. Yeah. It's, when you talked about grounding and not just listening, but taking action, I, I really imagine that that was such a huge part of it. Um, it's a big jump going from, from two stars. And I'm sure that there was a lot of factors behind you know, why it was that low, but would you say really that was the most important one? You're kind of breaking in now, but I think that um, I got the gist of your question. Yeah, I think that being visible, especially in a rural healthcare system where our main hospital is Robert Packer Hospital, and we have a fair amount of clinics around it. Um, and there was this perception that Robert Packer got everything they, they needed, but nobody else did. And some of our, our, our furthest hospitals about an hour and a half away, we have clinics that are even further. And I think that that rounding and making the time to go out and, and see it's almost like a salesperson approach where you, you're not going to get the sale on the first visit. You need to build that relationship. Right. And now they, they save their questions to, to our trainers that go out and round because that's their epic person. And they know when they show up, they're going to get some time and just really spending some time on customizing their workspace and allowing them to have some control where there's control and helping them understand the why behind. And we need you to click this button. <laughs> understand it, they're more likely to be bought into it. It's just whenever you just force something, everybody likes to have their little bit of opinion at first. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we we hear that a lot for sure. But do you think you have more clout being a nurse, having worked in the field? Yeah, I do. I think initially when people didn't understand that I was a, a nurse by background, because like I said, I moved from Ohio, so they didn't know me really. I think that that helped because they don't have to speak differently. I can understand their language, the, the, the medical field's language. And then I also, I've worked in the field. I know exactly how frustrating it is when you have a patient staring at you and um, there's a piece of technology that's uh, making you stupid to probably not really, but internally you feel that way. Yeah. I kind of always use the description that I don't know if you remember when Microsoft made a big change on Word where all the, the drop downs were different. And so how frustrating that was, like, you know how to write a Word document, but how frustrating it was to not know where to go. Yeah. Same thing. Understanding that and making sure that we don't, we don't purposefully cause that is, is really a focus of ours. Yeah. When you talked before about getting into the, the CIO role and how people are bringing different strengths to it now, it seems like that's something that's going to continue to be the case where, you know, you're not just having people who came from IT manager roles. Do you think that that will continue to, uh, we'll see more diversity coming into that? I do. I think that, you know, it's a trend that will continue to grow and primarily because, you know, you can good network people, you can get good infrastructure people. 
um, but they're not always the greatest leaders, right? Or the greatest collaborators. You need somebody to understand the, the depth of what's happening at the hospital um, and be able to relate it to your core team to understand why it's important for them to respond in a certain way. And again, it's that translation of there's always a patient at the end of that technology. You know, if you have somebody that's just IT focused, they don't always grasp it. I mean, the clinicians in that space or, or, or somebody um, that has been, that's outside of a, a traditional IT to drive transformation. It's really not about deploying things now. Mm-hmm. How you transform the, the, the care that you get. Yeah. What you've talked about a lot is change management and, you know, what it takes and what I think a lot of people are learning about how to approach that. And it just seems like that's such a huge part of things that hasn't always been the focus in the past. Right. I mean, and probably rightfully so is, was about your technology stack, right? Getting the right stack in place. Just like everything changes in the world, so does this. And I think that, you know, now just having the technology stack is not is not the answer. You have to actually be able to use it in a way that impacts care. Yeah, absolutely. Just in terms of um, nurses and how much how much that role is changing, that seems really interesting too. And do you think that more nurses will come forward or, you know, advance to leadership roles just because of, you know, that that unique knowledge that they have? Yeah, I think, however, with such a nursing shortage, it's going to be interesting to see how that transformation occur. Um, and now uh, there's a whole shift to be people not wanting to be in healthcare anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it has to happen that we have more clinicians that are not just nurses, but any clinician. Yeah. I think that one thing that has been a positive from what, what we've been through the last two years is that at least hopefully there is more emphasis now on burnout and really hopefully there's more of a conscious effort to uh, try to reduce that uh, burden. Yeah, it, it's so funny because, you know, when physician burnout was the hot topic, you know, five years ago, it still is. And now we're kind of transforming to the whole nursing documentation burden. So we, we put more on our nurses during that physician burnout period. Yeah. We're trying to reduce their clicks. We're trying to reduce their noise. And I think that sometimes we get a little too restrictive on scope of care that other support staff can provide. We're taking the approach from, from our nursing standpoint is, is it the right person to be asking or doing that care at the right time? We have a, a program that's called the Nightingale Initiative where we're looking at reducing the documentation burden um, of our nurses. And one of the things that we're addressing is the um, admission database. So the admission database is something that you fill out on every patient that comes in to a hospital bed. And you have a lot of questions that you have to ask, most of them regulatory. And most of the regulation tells you you have to address it during their care. It doesn't tell you when. And some of the questions are like, can they climb a certain amount of flights of steps? Um, if you're in an ICU bed, is that the most appropriate time to assess that? Looking right. at that, um, and does it have to be nursing? Can it be um, physical therapy or can it be, you know, some other care continuum? And we've been able to reduce, it was taking our nurses an average of 70 minutes to complete a nursing database. Um, and we've been able to reduce it to 30 minutes just by looking at those kind of concepts. And so again, looking at it holistically, not like, how many clicks does a nurse need to do? 
but looking at, you know, is it the right, almost like the five rights, is it the right person, the right time, you know, in the right care area, you know, those kinds of things to make sure, are we documenting duplicate information and to make the most value out of the data that we do collect? Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And in such a good way of looking at it, it's not anything that's going to happen overnight, obviously, but it's so important to take steps in that direction. And, you know, it's COVID again, it's kind of forcing our hand in this, right? So we don't have a ton of resources um, and our resources need to be providing direct patient care. And so how do we look at how we can provide care differently? Um, Another thing that we're doing is looking at an admission nurse and eventually it's going to be virtual. Um, But right now we have we have a fair amount of nurses in IT and they take one shift a month where they go and they act as an admission nurse and they're actually filling out those admission database questionnaires for the nurses to relieve them of that burden. But eventually once we have our command center set up, we're going to have it virtually where they can virtually have the, that conversation with the patient in their room, and no matter what hospital it is, um, and not having to walk around and kind of find that admission nurse to go into that patient's room. And so hopefully it provides um, more complete data collection, more accurate data collection. And, you know, I think that that virtual nurse will actually grow in her span of, of scope on what she's going to be able to do and not do based on, based on her being able to do more in a remote location than if she was um, staffed hospital um, employee. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it'll be It'll be interesting to see how how things like that unfold, but these are things that we wouldn't have thought of or, or oh. wouldn't have thought were so necessary years ago. Right. And, and probably be like, oh no, you, you can't do that on a screen. No way. But right. how many times do we have interactions with even text messages where you're actually scheduling appointments, you know, bi-directionally and we just need to catch up. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. I think that's about, that's about it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, I will be in touch soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.